pain, success, depression, ups and downs. It's a roller coaster ride. I don't think someone can fully understand their level of insanity until they find themselves in situations they never thought they would be in. I'm gonna talk about some things that I'm honestly ashamed of. How dangerous things like ego, overconfidence, and greed can destroy everything in your life. No one's talking about the ugly side of entrepreneurship. This is the Remake Nate podcast, where we talk about all things entrepreneur. So there I was, 18 years old, barely out of high school, and suddenly I was sitting behind the counter being trained by the previous owner, who I just purchased this business from, and I was feeling on top of the world. But what you probably don't know yet is that the business that I had purchased was a small niche record store. Yes, in 1999, I bought a fucking record store. Two years after I bought it, Napster was created, and the music industry was completely flipped upside down. It obviously changed everything. But how was I, an 18-year-old kid just out of high school, supposed to be able to predict that this would happen? Obviously, it would have been impossible to know what was coming. By the time Napster became popular in 2001, I no longer owned that record store. It no longer existed. What happened? Oh, don't worry. I will get to that. For now, I want to tell you more about exactly how I had managed to buy this record store in the first place. So let's backtrack to January of 1999. I was a nerd. Well, actually, in a lot of ways, I still am one. But in what kind of kid were you in high school definition, that's the category that I fell into. I wasn't part of the popular crowd, but I had plenty of friends, and more than anything, I loved to create. And creating back then for me really broke down into two categories. Number one, music. I've been a musician most of my life, and back then I'd formed a band and released some original music, played tons of gigs, and literally Everything about music and the music industry fascinated me. I loved writing and creating music with all of my heart. I still do. It's always been a really great outlet for me and one that almost always has the ability to calm me down and ground me. And number two, video production. Part of the reason I was considered a nerd was because I was part of the video class crowd. Honestly, that was the only class that really interested me and excited me. I was lucky enough to go to a high school where the guy who created the entire video course in class and still taught it just happened to be a living legend. My teacher's name was Russ Gibb, and Mr. Gibb is someone who I credit for becoming the person that I am today. He was crazy as fuck, but I and the rest of my classmates loved it and we loved him. For many kids, Mr. Gibb was a father figure and a positive influence in their lives during a time when they really didn't have many or any other positive influences. I personally know of at least three of his former students who credit him for actually saving their lives. Creating videos was another passion of mine and actually still is today as well. I wouldn't say that Mr. Gibb saved my life, but he had a tremendous influence on me, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship. So 
People could call me a nerd if they wanted to. I really didn't care as long as I had my music and my video outlets. That's all that really mattered to me. Interestingly, the skills that I learned in that video production class would help me all of the rest of my life so far. Producing videos, commercials, etc., for my businesses has always been a staple of any marketing campaign or concept that I was working on or trying out. And it has been a huge advantage for me to be able to do that myself in-house and not have to pay thousands of dollars to have these types of things done for me or my companies. I could say the same about music as well. Spending so much time in studios, recording, etc., really made doing this actual podcast a whole lot easier than I assume it is for most. I already had microphones and all the production equipment needed to record audio, and I had audio editing software. All I needed was the content, and off I went. This podcast really does combine my two biggest passions in life, which is probably why I've had so much fun getting this off the ground. So I wouldn't say that Mr. Gibb or my video class saved my life, but he and the people who I met through that class had tremendous influences on me, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship and business. You see, Mr. Gibb wasn't a normal teacher. He had done a whole lot of stuff in his life, and my respect for him as a business person only grew the more that I got to know him, talk to him, listen to him, and learn from him. Gibb didn't just teach a video class. Gibb taught a life class. Legends have it that Russ Gibb was the one responsible for the Beatles' Paul's Dead rumors. Back then, um, he was a DJ at a radio station in Detroit. And the story, as I know it, is that while working his shift at a radio station on October 12, 1969, Gibb answered a call from a guy who proceeded to tell Gibb about the rumor and gave him all the clues leading him to believe that it was in fact true. Gibb then discussed it all on his radio show with other callers and his audience for the next hour or so. Two days after that broadcast, the Michigan Daily newspaper published an article written by a student at the University of Michigan titled, McCartney Dead, New Evidence Brought to Light. It identified various clues to McCartney's death on Beatles album covers, including new clues from the just-released Abbey Road LP. As the student writer had actually completely invented many of those clues, he was apparently astonished when the story was picked up by newspapers all across the United States. Gibb then further fueled that rumor with a special two-hour radio program on the subject titled The Beatle Plot, which aired on October 19, 1969, and continued to air randomly on Detroit radio stations in the years since. Yep, that dude was my teacher. Pretty cool, isn't it? One thing that all of us who were close to Mr. Gibb knew was that he was a very wealthy man. He had made some great investments over the years, and obviously that was impressive to all of us kids in his class. But what really fascinated most of us was his experience in the music business, the influence that he himself had personally had in so many huge names in rock and roll, and the balls that he must have had to take his life in that particular direction at the time. In the late 60s, Gibb created, opened, and operated the famous Grandy Ballroom in the city of Detroit. He was personally involved in giving bands like the MC5, Iggy Pop, and Ted Nugent their start in the business, and helping to break those bands and artists out nationally. The Grandy Ballroom 
would also be the place where The Who played their rock opera Tommy for the first time in the United States. He was also an investor in Cream magazine. The guy was truly a living legend. As far as his wealth, Gibb didn't just invest in music industry projects. He was savvy as hell and could spot an opportunity primed for huge growth from a mile away. This savviness is what sparked his interest in an eventual investment in purchasing of the cable TV rights for the cities of Dearborn, Michigan, Wayne, Michigan, and Gross Point, Michigan in the late 1970s. With what cable TV eventually became, it's hard to even imagine what kind of a return on investment he was able to achieve, but it had to be huge. For so many of us, he was an inspiration. He was a friend. He was a mentor. And he was a big reason why so many of us nerds believe that we really could accomplish great things if we put our minds to it. So Mr. Gibb had a long and crazy life of experiences in business, in the music industry, two things I absolutely adored. So it's really no wonder that I looked up to him like I did and truly listened to and took to heart the things that he told me and taught me throughout the years. Mr. Gibb passed away in 2019 and he's missed greatly by all of us who loved and appreciated him so much. Why am I talking about this? That's an easy one to answer. Mr. Gibb was instrumental in my entrepreneurial journey. He always made his students, including me, feel like we had the world by the balls. It was during one particular talk with him that I had in November of 1998 that he made his biggest contribution to me and to my life. And had we not had that talk, who knows how things would have played out. Out of nowhere, and if you knew him, this was common, he leaned back in his chair, sighed his normal gib sigh, and then looked at me and said, what the hell are you going to do with your life? Even though I was used to his hilarious lack of tact and the way that he communicated, I was admittedly caught off guard by his question. Then he shook his head and said, you're out of here in seven months. No more safety net. No more blaming anyone else but yourself for how things go from here on out. You are smart and you're talented as hell, and yet you still have yet to actually completely apply yourself and commit to anything. You need to start focusing on how to see things through, or you're fucked. This is how he talked. He didn't mince words, ever. He governed us video class kids in his own straight-to-the-point way, and yet underneath that cold exterior was a man who had a soft heart for us weird kids. And he felt like if he pushed us in the right ways, we could change the world. I looked back at him and softly and slowly responded with, um, what do you mean? Well, that was the wrong question for me to ask. He then proceeded to tell me all the times my projects weren't as good as they could have been, mostly due to my laziness and my amazing ability to procrastinate about literally everything. It was almost like he had rehearsed this speech. I, like most people, hate being told what to do. I also, especially back then, hated being called out on my own shit. So my instinct was to respond defensively. But as I started to do that, he interrupted me and said, stop, breathe. There's no fucking reason to get upset. The main reason you're getting defensive is because you know this shit is true. And I did. I 100% knew that he was right. I quickly regrouped and then responded with, you're right. How can I change these things? How can I do better? Gibb smiled. He immediately knew that he had gotten through to me. And then he paused, looked back at me again and said, first off, you will never be happy working for someone else. If you end up stuck in that rat race, 
you will never overcome those things that we just talked about. One of the main reasons that you don't fully commit to something or procrastinate getting something done is because at the end of the day, you aren't the one in charge. Yes, it's your project. Yes, it's your responsibility. But at the end of the day, you're still doing these things for someone else instead of directly for yourself. Your experience working for someone else will end up being very much like your experience in school. You'll get by, but you'll never reach your full potential if you don't put yourself in a position to be completely responsible for both your failures and your successes. And you will have both. You need to start thinking about all the different business ideas that you've talked to me about and start really narrowing them down to the top five ideas that you believe are the best. Once you do that, come back to talk to me, present them to me, and we'll talk through them and try and narrow them down further. Just remember that being an entrepreneur and a creator isn't about being happy and loving every second of the ride. It's about feeling fulfilled. You have to feel fulfilled by what you are working on. It's just how you are built. Otherwise, you're going to always feel like you're bored and always feel like you're searching for something else. And you'll never be able to fully make that transition to completely and totally commit to something. Not because you feel like you have to, because you want to, are working towards something and don't want to disappoint yourself. This conversation is one I will always remember. When I say that Mr. Gibb changed lives, it's because of conversations like this one that I say that. About a week later, I came back to him for our follow-up conversation. I had done as he asked, and as hard as it was, I did finally narrow my ideas down to my top five. Those ideas were as follows. Number one, a membership-driven company offering discounts on disposable products such as paper towel, toilet paper, napkins, Kleenex, paper plates, plastic cups, diapers, baby wipes, and other similar products. The idea for this was that the membership fees would allow us to charge less for those products while still generating a profit. It would create a stable income stream every month and people would save money on things they had to buy over and over again. He hated this idea. His exact words were, so you think that you're going to compete with fucking Walmart? I quickly moved on to idea number two. Side note, one of the parts of my plan for this idea was to offer quick and simple delivery of those products and to make it a no-brainer for people to buy. He didn't think that part made sense at all logistically. And at the time, looking back, I agree with him. But I do find it funny to look back at that particular business idea and then look at how commerce operates today with Amazon Prime, grocery delivery, fast delivery, free shipping, etc., I must have just been ahead of my time. Number two, mobile car wash slash mobile auto detailing. He thought this idea had some potential. While it certainly wasn't something that had never been done before, he thought that the market in the Detroit area would love it as long as there was enough benefit to using the service, i.e. get your car detailed while you're at work. Number three, mobile slash on-site computer and tech support for seniors. He liked this idea as well, but wanted me to do more research on what my actual process would be for doing this on a mobile approach. Most computer repair places at this time had you bring your computer tower into them. He saw advantages to me coming to the customer's location. Number four, a music recording studio. He shot this idea down immediately and said there's no money in it unless you have a name behind it and can get big artists to record with you. Number five, 
a live music venue for all ages that also had a skate park in the same building. Given his background, he was interested in this idea. This was the one he thought had the most potential overall, but also in his opinion, may be one of the hardest to get off the ground uh, and operate affordably, especially with insurance. After our meeting, I continued doing research. Pretty quickly, I ruled out the computer technical support business. Logistically at the time, I couldn't make the numbers work. So at this point, I had narrowed it down to two possible options. Number one, mobile car wash and detailing. Number two, live music venue and skate park. While doing my research, I had also started looking at active listings for businesses for sale. I figured if I found something that was what I was looking for, or even similar to it, I could potentially shortcut a lot of the usual startup pains and also be able to much more easily show cash flow, financial predictions, etc. It was about two weeks later that I saw a listing that caught my attention. It said, small niche record store for sale, 10 years in business, owner wants to move on to other projects. I was immediately intrigued. I called the number on the listing and I ended up talking to the owner of the business for almost an hour on the phone. He invited me to come in and meet him, see the store and ask any additional questions. So that's exactly what I did. The next day, right after school was out, I headed out there. It was located about 30 minutes from my house, but that didn't bother me at all. It was in a great location right on a main road in a small city with a great reputation I couldn't contain my excitement and I couldn't wait to get out there and see where things went. That meeting went even better than I could have hoped. We continued our conversation that we started on the phone. I spent almost three hours there. I had so many questions and he was so generous with his time and his answers. I left that meeting determined to buy that business. The only problem was I didn't have the money. Next time on the Remake Nate podcast, you'll hear how I creatively structured the purchase of that business and how I raised the money to make the purchase happen. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Launching this podcast has been a goal of mine for quite some time now and you listening to it, rating it, subscribing to it and sharing it with your friends really makes all the effort that I've put into this in order to make it happen feel completely worth it. So again, thank you. I'd love it if you would connect with me online and share your own stories, struggles, wins, current projects, and more. You can reach me easily on my website, remakenate.com, by joining our Entrepreneur Connect community, or of course, on Instagram as well, at remakenate. Thanks again for listening, and my wish for you today and every day is that you have a happy and profitable one. See you on the next episode.